Amen. All right. Now, my beloved, open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter number 13. Tonight, we are going to look at a subject called the beast. The beast. And it's another reference to the Antichrist. Now, this subject is a little bit too large for one message. So I'm breaking it into two parts. Part one is tonight. God willing, next Wednesday, a week from now, uh, boy, we'll be into the month of May, won't we? Be the first Wednesday in May. We'll have the second part, part two, on the Antichrist. And I sure hope that you join us and that you invite others to tune in and watch along. Now, if you'll remember, chapter 12, verse 1, through to about chapter 15, verse 4, are parenthetical. You have to keep that in mind. It's very important. It's not a, a blow-by-blow description in chronology. Otherwise, you're going to get messed up. It's per- parenthetical. The tour bus has pulled over. The guide has turned around and is explaining different things to us. And we learned all about Israel and giving birth to Christ. And now, uh, oh, and we were, we were introduced in chapter 12 to the dragon, to the devil. Uh, so now we're introduced to the Antichrist here, the beast. Let's have a word of prayer before we proceed any further. Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves and ask that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide in this message tonight and indeed increase our faith, increase our love and our dependency, increase our expectancy of a coming Savior, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now bless this little time together. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. And so chapter 13, verse 1, follow this as I read. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This is a a horrible picture of the true Antichrist. I do believe that Antichrist comes in the the first half of the tribulation as more of a, a smoother politician. If you turn back a couple pages, chapter 6 and verse 2, you'll see the beginning of the tribulation and the first phase, we'll call it that, of Antichrist because he changes. He changes halfway through the tribulation. Verse 2, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so here we have more of the political Antichrist. And after three and a half years, the Bible indicates that he's killed. He's assassinated. And then he comes back to life. Well, when he comes back to life, he's a different man. He's no longer the the political type, but rather he's brute force is what he is. And I think that we've seen other people down through history uh, exhibit this sort of behavior, sort of a dualism, if you will. I think that Adolf Hitler would certainly fit that picture. When he first came to power, he gave the impression of being a wonderful savior of the nation Germany. And then, as things progressed, he became his true self. And the madman within him came out, and people were amazed at what they saw. Um, Let's uh, take a quick look, shall we, at 2 Thessalonians. You can turn back there with me if you like, 2 Thessalonians, because it talks here more specifically about the Antichrist. 
chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians and verse uh, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, it's a reference to the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Many believe that that to be the rapture, where the Christians are taken away. And that man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition. Perdition is a reference to hell. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is definitely Antichrist. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. And that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. It's holding things back. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8, here's the Antichrist. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Amazing. People's hearts are so hardened. They want nothing to do with Jesus and they'll cling to the Antichrist, yea, even to Satan. And they'll end up in hell for it. Now we have the the two pictures, if you will, of this Antichrist coming first as a, a very clever politician. And then after the second half, he changes. Uh, he just changes completely, if you will. Uh, something has changed within him. If you're back in chapter, Revel chapter 13 of Revelation, look, verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. This is the midpoint, the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist, he is killed and now brought back to life. I'm sure that they have certified him dead. All of the world's doctors that are around him certify him absolutely dead. And then after a short period of time, he comes back to life. But he's a changed man. He's an absolutely changed individual. Absolutely. Now, I believe that this guy here, the Antichrist, his body is taken over by an evil spirit. Because no man is able to do what Satan needs done. The man, the human Antichrist, has done his part. And now it's like he's no longer needed. His soul is in hell. His body's still on earth. And it's like the devil puts a demon inside, or maybe more, but at least one demon inside of the Antichrist. At least that's how it appears to me. I believe that it could well be that uh, this uh, demon came right out, of the, right out of the bottomless pit. No good thing comes out of the bottomless pit. By the way, that expression, bottomless pit, it's only used in the book of Revelation. Chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 11. Chapter 17, verse 8. Uh, chapter 20, verses 1 and 3. Now, back to this beast. This beast, what in the world is it? 
Now, a beast tends to be a four-footed large animal that usually has a wild temperament, a wild nature, difficult to control, nothing like a domestic dog or cat, but wild in its nature. Now, this beast can also be seen in the book of Daniel. We'll not take time to turn back to Daniel chapter 2, but in chapter 2 of Daniel, you have Nebuchadnezzar's vision of a statue, this great, high, tall, mighty statue that he saw in his vision, in his dream. It had a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, a waist of brass, and legs of iron, and feet and toes of part iron and part clay. And he was very troubled by it, and he called in all the soothsayers. They couldn't help him. Finally, Daniel came in, and Daniel put his heart at rest and told him exactly what it was. He said, Thou art this head of gold. That was Babylon, likened unto a lion. Um, the arms and chest of silver was the Medo-Persian government that was to come, likened unto a bear. The waist portion of the, the statue was of brass. That was, spoke of the, the uh, Grecian Empire that came like a leopard. The legs of iron spoke of the Roman Empire. Uh, and also the feet and toes, part of iron and part of clay, refer to the revived Roman Empire, similar to the beast we have here in chapter 13. Then in chapter 7 of Daniel, we have Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar had a vision. He saw four beasts coming up from the sea. He saw a lion, a bear, a leopard, and some nameless beast. Well, the lion in Daniel chapter 7, verse 4, spoke of the Babylonian Empire, as we've made reference to. The bear in Daniel 7, verse 5, spoke of the Medo-Persian Empire, which we also made reference of, the arms and the, the, uh, the chest of silver in chapter 2. But in chapter 7, verse 6, Belshazzar's vision also saw a leopard. That's the third beast that came up. And that spoke of the Grecian Empire. And then finally, this nameless beast, this nameless thing, which corresponds in chapter 2 with the legs of iron, Rome, the Roman Empire, like the uh, nameless beast. And so this nameless beast in um, chapter 7, verse 7, and, and verse 23 speaks of the Roman Empire, a composite, if you will, of the first three. Daniel was not able to name this fourth beast because it was different from anything he'd ever seen. He'd never seen anything quite like it. What do you name a beast that has the body of a leopard? and the feet of a bear, and the head of a lion. What do you name such a thing? There is no name for it. Why is it given this description? Why does the beast have this description? Here it is, because Satan's plan no longer requires human diplomacy. As I mentioned earlier, the human part of the Antichrist dies at the three and a half year mark. His soul goes to hell. He can no longer help Satan in his plans. Satan now needs demonic brute force. And as I mentioned, we saw this principle played out in the life of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. Now, these beasts, if you will, the lion, the bear, the leopard, 
the qualities of a leopard, a male leopard. A male leopard bear, a, a leopard weighs up to 170 pounds. Leopards are the strongest of all of the big cats. They're able to drag a heavy prey up a tree. They're also excellent swimmers, which may be why this beast comes up out of the sea. The leopard is capable of running up to 40 miles per hour for brief periods. It can leap a 20-foot wide chasm. It can leap also almost 10 feet up in the air. The qualities of a bear, a bear's paws give it great stability. Each paw has five six-inch long strong claws that are used for tearing and digging and climbing and destroying. And the qualities of the lion's teeth. Remember, it had the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, and the head of a lion. Well, the lion is equipped with three-inch long teeth and powerful jaws that can crush and kill its prey. I did a little research, and according to National Geographic, when measured in pounds per square inch bite force, a German shepherd dog has 235 pounds per square inch bite force. The Rottweiler dog has 328 pounds per square inch bite force. The average shark in the ocean has 669 pounds per square inch bite force. And a lion has 691 pounds per square inch bite force. No wonder. It, that, that a bear's, uh, sorry, a lion's head was chosen. And so here's this, this crazy animal, this, this horrible looking thing, this scary looking beast that comes up and it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And that's what Antichrist will be in this second half of the tribulation. People who know him will say, who is he? It's like no one we've ever seen. His force of personality is like nothing we've ever experienced. Large, powerful world leader with satanic power to use all the political force, all of the financial backing to destroy anyone or any kingdom that gets in his way. Now why does this beast need this power? Why does Satan need someone like this to carry on his plan? Here's why. Number one, to overcome the two witnesses. No human has ever been able to kill off the two witnesses. Remember, we studied the two witnesses in chapter 11. By the way, that's how you remember it. Chapter 11 of Revelation, two. You see, two witnesses. Chapter 11, two witnesses. That's how you remember it. And so the two witnesses were preaching Messiah Jesus and they were bringing plagues upon the earth and they were trying to get the attention and the repentance of Israel and others. And meanwhile, people were trying to kill these two witnesses. But these two witnesses, fire would come forth from their mouth and destroy all the enemies. No one could kill. No one could overcome the two witnesses. Now here's the Antichrist who's died, comes back to life. He's a changed individual. There's fire in his eyes, folks. And now... He has the power to overcome the two witnesses. You see? So this is the first reason why Satan needs this t 
terrible new beast of an antichrist. Uh, You see that in verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And also uh, in chapter um, uh, 13, verses 5 and 6, you'll see that he, he spoke roaring blasphemies against God. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's three and a half years. Right to the end of the tribulation. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Also, um, he has this power to force the world's people to worship him. Now, if you look, please, at verse 16 and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We're going to be studying more of that later, the the mark of the beast and what all that's about. But it requires tremendous force in order to cause all the people of the world to... uh, worship him and get this mark. And then also he kills off the Gentile believers. We saw some of this here in verse 7. He makes war with the saints because they won't worship him at all. They won't worship him. And he calls all the armies together. And you'll see in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Well, that's Satan. And out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, we're yet to learn about him. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so here the armies are called together. This is known as Armageddon. Armageddon comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And it will be the last confrontation. The last war. And so, folks, we're not in that period right now. The seven years have not yet begun. Anyone who tells you that we are currently in the tribulation doesn't understand scripture. Folks, there's still time to pray for your lost loved ones. There's still time to send out gospel tracts. There's still time to invite others to to watch the church services, to tune in and to watch along with us. There's still time to let your light shine for Jesus. But one day, one day soon, the time will be over. We'll be removed from the earth. Oh, beloved, do everything you can, everything in your power to help the work of God. To let your light shine. To pray for the lost. Do everything you possibly can. Because time is short.